What is up, families? Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com. And you are listening to the Black Men in White Coats podcast, a place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their stories with individuals like you. I am super excited about today's episode, really good episode. But before we get into that, let me do all my prerequisite announcements. So, of course, I invite you all to subscribe to this podcast. The more of you that subscribe, the higher the ratings we get, the higher ratings, the more we get our message out of trying to increase the number of black men in the field of medicine, which is very important, not just for black men, but for society in general, right? This is a healthcare crisis, and we've got to do something about it to turn the tide and to fix that. So please definitely subscribe. Please definitely share this. Uh, share it with your colleagues at work. Share it with your family members. If you're pre-med, share it with your pre-med club. If you're in nursing, share it with your nursing students. All that stuff. Just get it out and help us, help us, you know, really spread the message, what we're working on doing, increasing the number of black men in the field of medicine. Hey, guys, really excited, really excited. So you guys know we do... I do some work in tech, technology, right? And I'm really excited about diversemedicine.com and I'm inviting you all to join www.diversemedicine.com. We are building the strongest online platform for individuals interested in healthcare or individuals who are already in healthcare. I mean, there's going to be a platform of support, right? So you're going to have students on there. You're going to have physicians on there answering their questions. You're going to have physicians supporting each other. Connections are going to be made. We're building the strongest online community of individuals from diverse backgrounds in the field of medicine, right? We are bringing diversity to the field of medicine. And, you know, one of my biggest beliefs is that if you put people in a community of support and equip them with resources and and a network, they will succeed. And that's what we're doing with diversemedicine.com. So I invite you to join diversemedicine.com, tell your friends about it, and let's build this let's bring diversity to the field of medicine together right we've been working on working on this in different ways for a long time now several years several years you all know we started um, i run diversemedicine.org that's a nonprofit mentoring platform but diversemedicine.com is really tech based tech heavy to solve problems utilizing technology and the biggest thing really is just aggregating all of us all backgrounds in the field of medicine diversity in one place so we can so support each other in a safe environment, right? So I invite you all to join that diversemedicine.com. All right, now let me get into this episode. Let me get into this episode. I had a great time listening to Dr. Asante Dixon. Dr. Asante Dixon, he's a chair of neuroradiology at his institution. And man, let me tell you guys, you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I call this one a culture of survival, a culture of survival. And I took those words directly from his episode. He's, he says that he refers to those exact terms, a culture of survival. And man, I've never heard anybody in the, on one of our Black Men and White Coast podcasts actually break down culture the way that Dr. Dixon did and the influence of culture on success and the influence of culture on the way you carry yourself, even through the medical field, right? We talk about culture and its impact outside of medicine, but you know, Dr. Dixon brings a unique perspective as he He's, he educates us on how culture impacted him throughout his medical journey, and specifically the hip-hop culture in his case. Amazing. So again, I've titled this, The Culture of Survival. Check it out. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up? My name is Asante Dixon. 
I am a board-certified neuroradiologist. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Dale's Black Men in White Coats. I am currently the chairman of radiology at Washington Adventist Hospital in Tacoma Park, Maryland, which is about 10 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. I'm probably slash possibly the first black African-American and slash or dark pigmented individual of the African diaspora to hold this position of chairman in this hospital's 111-year history. I was born in New York, um, Manhattan, otherwise known as the money-making. My family moved around early, so we went from the money-making to the BX or the Bronx into BK or the Brooklyn. Um, When I remembered what was going on, we were in Long Island. So I grew up pretty much in Long Island, Freeport to be exact, South Shore. Went to Baldwin Public Schools, which is the neighboring town. And no, we didn't have a false address to go to another school. It was just the rule that if you lived somewhere about north of this large road called Sunrise Highway, you went to Baldwin High School. And if you lived south, you went to Freeport High School. I always wanted to go to Freeport High School because I'll be honest with you, um, I always thought Freeport was cooler, and that probably was because from the outside, they had more black and Latino students, so I just assumed it was cooler. But in retrospect, I think I made the right choice. Well, not me, my parents. I am a pretty typical New York kid growing up, so I am full of music. And the music I'm full of is really predominantly hip-hop. Growing up, hip-hop was everything. It was everywhere. Um, I'm also full of soca and reggae music because my parents are immigrants from Trinidad and Tobago. And in New York, the West Indian population is huge. But hip-hop really is the primary musical language in my brain. Long Island rappers did represent back in my day. So guys like Eric B and Rakim, Busta Rhymes, EPMD, De La Soul, Public Enemy, LL Cool J, um, who else? Uh, Prodigy from Mob Deep. You know, these were the guys that created the soundtrack for my life in the junior high, high school days. Oh, I can also throw in, uh, Eddie Murphy, even though he's not a rapper, I throw him in because he is Eddie Murphy and I lived next door to him for about a year right before he blew up and got really big on Saturday Night Live. So my dad came to New York and he always tells me the story about uh, how he came to JFK Airport with $30 in his pocket. He came on a scholarship from Trinidad and ended up in Wisconsin going to college. During the summer times, he would work in Manhattan cleaning toilets and screwing in light bulbs in these big corporate buildings. My mom came maybe a year or two later, uh, joined him in Wisconsin, and both of them were educators. My dad had a degree in, honestly, I don't know what it's called, but all I know is my dad is one of those guys that he could build anything. Um, He was good with machinery. He could build furniture. He built component systems. Um... 
he was a typical West Indian. He had about 10 jobs. He was a photographer, a mechanic, a contractor. He did real estate. You know, anything that went on in my house, my dad could do it from roofing to plumbing to electric. He went on later to become a media specialist. He was a librarian in Hempstead High School, uh, also in Long Island. Uh, my mom started off as a home economics teacher. Many of you don't know what that is. And even myself, I listen to the stories, but I'm not quite that familiar either because by my time, I didn't have home economics. I think that was when uh, they used to teach people how to cook and bake and learn to be self, uh, self-sufficient. self she then went on to become an English teacher. She got her master's degree. Then she um, is currently um, assistant superintendent in Uniondale, Long Island. And last year, she got her PhD in urban education from City University of New York. So when you translate, what you're looking at is growing up in a household with people who did not play with education. There was no ifs, ands, or buts, or I'm a gonna, or I was gonna. It was do your work or die. I did very well in my elementary, junior high, and high school years. I was an honor student. I got uh, most of my classes. I was uh, Regents Diploma, which is what they have in New York honors, and I was a National Merit Scholar. I think New York also helped me in life in that New York is a very heterogeneous population. So you grew up with a lot of people from a lot of different places. I give you an example, like in homeroom in seventh and eighth grade, I used to sit next to a guy named Dante, Italian-American, and Dante used to scream out during homeroom every now and then. He used to say, hey, everybody, gather around. It's Dante and Asante sitting next to each other at the same time. Dante and Asante, Asante and Dante. Asante, you got anything to say? And then I would kind of, depending on my mood, I'd probably be like, nah, I'm good, Dante. You know, this exposure to different people um, and cultures has really assisted me in my medical career because in medicine, you're dealing with different people every day, every minute. I'm an only child, so my life was in my brain, a fantasy world in my brain. My place was the basement. I had no TV in my room, and I would go in the basement, which was unfinished, by the way. All you kids out there with your finished basements with the TV recessed in the wall, there was none of that. I was in a tile basement with the boiler in the corner and the, the storage boxes and you had to walk between stuff and I had my radio there and I'd listen to um, WBLS and Hot 97 and, and uh, 98.7 KISS, which I don't think exists anymore. I'd listen to radio stations that came out of NYU, um, listening to tapes of, again, the hip hop music, which was just permeating my brain. I had dreams of becoming a rapper. The basement was my refuge. That's where all my thinking happened. I'll tell you, though. The hip hop music was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing because it really dictated how, as a young black male, 
you could think in order to survive. It fostered ideas of independence. It fostered ideas of self-defense. All of these things that you needed to survive. However, I can tell you that later on, indoctrination of a lot of these hip-hop ideals didn't do me well as I was pursuing formal education, particularly pursuing this career in matriculation in medicine. Being hard, never showing weakness, always trying to be tough, trying to be the loudest person, and being respected for being the loudest, most brash person around, that doesn't necessarily help you in the medical realm. That doesn't help you in school. More on that later. I decided from high school to go to Cornell University. And honestly, the reason why I went to Cornell was because, one, it was a New York State Ivy League school. So that meant, quote, I didn't have to travel too far. Two, I went to a minority hosting weekend my senior year of college, I believe. And that weekend we were up there, A Tribe Called Quest and Busta Rhymes were performing. And three, my cousin was a year older than I, and she was already a freshman at Cornell. And when I put all those things together, I was like, oh, okay. Now, if they got Busta Rhymes and Tribe Called Quest performing every Saturday, this is where I need to be. So Cornell it was. Well, let me tell you all something. That was my first interaction with the slap in the face of what is competition. Competition was Cornell. I was a communication major, but I took my prerequisites for pre-med simultaneously. I did very well in all my communication classes, but the pre-med classes like chemistry, organic chemistry, biology, physics, man, I was getting uppercutted, jabbed, body slammed. First time in my life. My middle name was C plus, B minus. I was actually uh, kind of depressed. Um, it was the first time I'd been around, you know, so many competitive students at the same time. You know, I guess they had drawn all the heavy hitters from all over the country, and now you're in the same class, and uh, you realize how much you know and how much you don't know. You realize what you really understand and what you don't understand. I learned a lot of lessons at Cornell about what it was going to take if I really wanted to pursue a career in medicine. That brings me to why I pursued a career in medicine. Well, really, growing up, I had uh, a decent amount of family members who were in medicine, two uncles in particular who were physicians. They left Trinidad and went to study in the States at Howard and in England. And they were permanent fixtures in my life growing up, and I always kind of just looked after, looked at them and said, oh, I want to do that. But here I was 18 plus years later trying to, quote unquote, do that and realizing that that ain't so easy. Getting into college is like getting to the moon. It's tough, but it's not as tough as getting into medical school, which is like getting to Saturn. My communication major classes helped me stay level as far as my GPA was concerned, but my science classes were 
really uh, not that great grade-wise. By the end of my junior year, I took the MCAT for the first time and didn't get a good score at all. My best score was in the writing portion. I am one of those people that, fortunately, I don't hit my head against the wall too many times before I say to myself, wait a second, I can't get through here. I need another door. And luckily at that time, I came across a program called the GEMS program, Georgetown Experimental Medical Science Program at Georgetown University. And it was a non-degree post-baccalaureate program. And I said to myself, man, I think I need to take this opportunity because I need to tighten up before I go applying to medical school. I was fearful that if I applied to medical school at that point, I wouldn't get in. So I went to Georgetown. That was the best experience and the best decision I think I've ever made academically. It was there that it was there that I was introduced to Dr. Arthur Hoyt, Dean Joy Williams, and Dean David Taylor. I want to speak specifically about Dean David Taylor because this was an individual who took me under his wing during that one-year postback program and sought out to teach me how to study. How is it that somebody like me who had done so well in high school, junior high, never had any academic problems, all of a sudden seemed to be just flailing in the competition? Well, I only have a theory, but part of it is that I come from a culture, like many of you listening, of survival. Survival through music, survival through food, survival through congregation, survival through language. That music that I would be playing in my headphone in the library, in the medical school, that was just for that. It was to survive. It was to heal the wounds. But I didn't have the skills to prevent myself from acquiring the wounds. And this is where Dean Taylor came in. He became my academic coach. What is a coach? I played football and I played tennis from high school on. And I can tell you, I thought I could play football. But it wasn't until Coach Bruni, my JV coach, kneeled down on the ground one day and he said, Asante, you're too small. You're not fast enough to beat some of these bigger guys on the line. But let me tell you what you need to do. You need to be the first one off the line. And I want you to bury your head and your hands in his chest. And I would say, well, why would I do that? I'm trying to get, I'm trying to keep him off the ball. And he would say, because you need to use physics, Asante. You're shorter, you're smaller. But if you can knock him off balance, which you will by pushing his chest and therefore his head backwards, he no longer has the ability to use the strength to push on you. And let me tell you, when I did that the first time, I was in awe when I knocked the guy backwards who was almost twice my size. Training. He used to tell me, when you run, you keep your feet moving. You keep your head down, but your eyes up. Again, in awe at the difference in yardage when you would listen to the coach. Dean Taylor was my coach. He taught me how to study. What is salable information? What is multiple choice? And how does multiple choice work? How to study for an exam. 
How about time management, which clearly I had no idea about because I'd be studying, doing all-nighters, all the stuff I did in Cornell that quote-unquote got me by. And he would say, this is nonsense. This is what you need to do in terms of the usage of your day. What time to go to bed? What time to wake up in the morning? When to fit in exercise? All these things were necessary to train me, to coach me to medical success. This was a process. You don't just hear something one day and the next day you just go ahead and do it and everything's good. It took years of implementing his suggestions to get into a groove and to unlearn a lot of the bad study habits that I had. I applied out of the Georgetown Experimental Medical Science Program, and I was lucky enough, blessed enough, and I was accepted directly into Georgetown Medical School. Then again, I had to reach back to Dean Taylor because when I got to Georgetown Medical School, I was like, whoa, these people are serious. The level of academic competition was serious. So here we go again. Now we're in Georgetown Med School, and now they're, they're attracting the best of the best. So again, I had to reapply all of the training that I had learned in the post-bac program and redefine myself as a student. It wasn't easy. Classes were hard. The volume of work was ridiculous. The tests seemed to be just knocking me in my head all the time. And I would say to myself, how is it that I've been practicing this so long, but I still don't get it? I remember I got an F in statistics. Let me tell you, I don't think I've ever gotten an F in my life. When I saw an F next to my name, I almost passed out. Like, passed out. Like, eyes closed, supine on the ground, passed out. I had to take the retake test on that statistics exam. And let me tell you, I was embarrassed to be sitting in there retaking statistics. But I can tell you now that these were all the steps that were destined for me. At the time, it wasn't cute. But right now I can say that's what I needed. Step one was a huge exam that allowed you to transition from your preclinical years into your rotation years from second to third year. At Georgetown, they announced, I remember one of the, the dean got on the stage and 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 said, Georgetown has a 98% step one passage rate. And let me tell you, that was another almost pass out moment. And why? Because naturally, I said to myself, oh my God, if they have a 90% passage rate, I can't be part of that 2% that fails because I would feel paranoid like everybody would see me. So I worked feverishly to study for that step one because I was like, I cannot be the black guy who screws up the 98% passage rate. Word on the street was that you would take your exam in June and you started your third year rotations in July. And if you failed, that they would, quote unquote, come into the hospital and find you and pull you off of your rotation in front of everybody. Well, let me tell you, I used to have nightmares about that. So I took my step one exam and went on to my rotations. And let me tell you, if I was in the hospital in a rotation rounding or doing anything and I saw anybody walk in on the floor asking for me, 
I used to tighten up like I could feel my pancreas contract because I would be like, oh, they're coming to get me. And I'm going to have to be walked out in front of everybody. Man, not a good look. I went through a lot of underwear that first month of clinical rotation. But I passed. Went on to the third year. And I can tell you, it wasn't until third year that the studying started to click. It started to click. I started to get a groove in terms of what was necessary to approach the challenge academically. Again, I, was, I hadn't mastered it, but I was making progress. So understand, this is a latency of training, an effect of latency. Starting years before and every year, if you keep implementing what Dean Taylor had taught me, as I did, I was learning, I was getting better. Just like an athlete training, you don't get better in a week. It's years of training. I matched in radiology and I matched uh, my internship year was at Georgetown uh, preliminarily in uh, medicine. Went on to Howard University for radiology a couple years later. And let me tell you, that was a great experience because that was the first time in my life I could sit at a table full of black physicians and eat lunch. I wish I took pictures and I wish I could share pictures with you of that experience. For me, that was incredible as somebody who had never gone to a historic, historically black university and college. Because of some personal issues, I transferred out of Howard after the first year and went to Stony Brook Winthrop University in Long Island. So I was back home. And let me tell you, when I got back home to residency, that's when I really hit my stride. I passed my physics boards in radiology. I passed my general boards in radiology, my written boards, and I passed my oral boards. And I'll tell you, I passed my oral boards under duress because my dad was sick at the time. And I literally studied for my oral boards and left from his ICU room when he was ill and flew to my oral board location and returned to the ICU to spend more time with him. So it was just God's work and the work of Dean David Taylor as my academic coach that allowed me to pass through my residency even under those circumstances and still do as well as I did. I matched at Stanford University in neuroradiology, went on to Stanford University, and unfortunately, it was a two-year program, and my dad passed about two months before I graduated. He was aware of my academic struggles as we always maintain contact. He never got to see me finish, but I know he was always proud of me. My mother, always proud of me, is still my academic hero. She was really the taskmaster. And she led by example, as we are both doctors, Dixon at this point. Very proud of her. So all in all, I'll wrap up now by saying that I am no different than you. Young kid growing up, music is everything. Hip hop is everything. I gave you examples of the people that changed my life. I will say, however, that the music that you guys are listening to now, this new hip hop, I don't co-sign it. I don't really understand what they're saying. The beats are humdrum and quite repetitive. And whoever produces it, they don't deserve to be paid a dime. But that's just me. I'm old. 
Call me a hater. I don't care. I want to give back to those coming in the pipeline behind me trying to matriculate into medical school and to graduate from medical school and go on in the career in medicine. I co-founded an entity called Ascension Medical Educators. In Ascension Medical Educators, we allow students to optimize success. We leave a legacy to help students understand the process to medical school entrance and graduation. We're establishing students at every stage to achieve this. There are requirements of success that need to be passed on. So I and my partner, Dean David Taylor, we have joined forces together decades later to provide students with the training to reach their academic goals in medicine. Check us out at www.ascendmed.com. That's A-S-C-E-N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, E-D.com. I have the desire to teach and inspire like my parents and David Taylor did for me. Whether you work with us or you work with anybody, whether it be a mentor, a family member, a teacher, what you need to remember is that training and coaching is going to be essential for you to hone your skills. I want to thank Dr. Dale for the invitation to this episode of Black Men in White Coats. I want to thank my mother and father who sacrificed their entire lives for my academic success, led by example, and and led me in the direction of teaching and coaching that would take me further when they couldn't provide it. I want to thank Dean David Taylor for his sacrifice. He gave up thousands of man hours trying to teach me how to study, teach me how to think in a career path and a pipeline that hip hop did not prepare me for. We now together pass on his teachings and my experiences in order to train people coming through the pipeline behind us how to acquire the right information at the right time to make the right decision. I want to thank my wife, who's always been supportive of me in my endeavors, as crazy as I may be at times. And I want to thank my two sons, Michael and Bryce, a.k.a. Boogie and B-Rock, if you see him on the street. I am a black man in a white coat. A culture of survival. Man, tell me that wasn't good. You know, the way that Dr. Dixon just weaved in how his hip hop culture influenced him along his journey. And, you know, just he broke it down. He broke it down. I really love that. And this idea of having a culture of survival, this idea of, you know, this whole thing we're talking about being hard and, and, and grinding and being brash and being loud, how it doesn't necessarily translate to the field of medicine, yet it helps us 
in our survival as we try to make it along the journey. A uh, really interesting paradigm there, and I just love the way Dr. Dixon really broke that down. One of my favorite lines he said in his episode well, from his parents, do your work or die. All right. Do your work or die. I think that's important. Of course, we're not really talking about really die, like literal death. But this concept of do your work or die means, hey, no excuses. Just get it done. Just get it done. Right. There's certain things, you know, you have to do in life. Just do it. Quit crying about it and get it done. All right. Period. Do your work or die. You know, I have conversations with my friends and my wife often about how sometimes it feels as though we're waiting for somebody to help us get to the next level. It's like, oh, who's going to help me get to the next level? Who's going to help me get to the next level? Uh, who's going to come back in and support me? Who's going to be my cheerleader? Look, man, at the end of the day, like I tell my wife and I tell, I don't really put this in my kids' heads yet because you're not old enough to understand this concept, but adults who listen to my podcast. At the end of the day, one of the things that we have to realize is, and it's going to sound, it's going to sound really brash. It's going to sound really tough. Okay. So I don't want you to, you guys don't come back and bite my head off. I want you to listen to what I'm saying and feel me on this, okay? At the end of the day, if you're not successful, nobody cares, period. If you don't make it at the end of the day, if you're not successful, nobody cares. Nobody's coming back and saying, oh, Johnny, I'm sorry you didn't get into medical school. Let me help you now. Oh, Susie, I know it was hard. You know, I understand why you didn't make it. Let me help you now. Nobody's going to care, meaning nobody's going to look out for you the way you have to look out for yourself. Do your work or die. That's what that means, right? It's 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 your life. It's nobody else's life. Yeah, people might feel a little bit sad and say, oh, you know, he or she had less fortunate circumstances. But if you live your life and you get to 90 years old and you did not accomplish the things that you believe were, were God-ordained for you to accomplish, people are going to look at you and say, oh, he or she didn't accomplish what they were meant to accomplish. Oh, but that's it. That's all you get. Right. Nobody's coming back to give you their house. Nobody's coming back to take you all the way back when you're 90 years old and help you walk the pre-med journey, help you walk the pre-nursing journey, help you walk the pre-PA, pre-NP, whatever field you're going. So nobody's coming back to help you walk that journey because nobody cares. Right. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And of course, you guys get it right. I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating a bit. Right. There are people who are doing things to help you. This podcast, you know, I make this podcast to help you. DiverseMedicine.com, that's there to help you. DiverseMedicine.org is there to help you. The books, all these things are there to help you. All these programs, your teachers, your advisors, all these people are there to help you. But at the end of the day, if you don't get through, nobody's going to sacrifice what they have to give to you so you can be happy in life. They'll look at you and say, man, we tried to help them, didn't make it. All right. So you need to have that mindset. Do your work or die. And man, I'm just I'm just cut from that line that that that's just how I am. I'm just cut from that line where no excuses, just get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. And I believe that's the mentality that Dr. Dixon's parents had. That's the mentality that I would encourage you all to have along this journey of trying to make it into the field of healthcare, whichever field you're pursuing. Right. Have that mindset, have that mentality like, man, I got to get this done, period, point blank. I've got to get this done. Do your work or die. And I'm not talking about literal death again. I need to make sure I keep on reiterating that as uh, pretty much do your work or don't don't be successful. That's that's more an, a more appropriate translation. OK, but the gravity of it is why Dr. Dixon's parents would have used that that exact phrase, do your work or die. Right. Because at the end of the day it's on you. It's not on it's not on your friends, it's not on your teachers, it's not on your advisors. Don't come back to me and tell me my advisors didn't help me. Don't come back to me and say, Dr. Dell, my advisors didn't help me. 
Your advisors aren't the ones who are trying to go into med school. Your advisors aren't the ones who are trying to go to de dental school. You're trying to do that. If your advisor is not helping you, find a new advisor. Okay. So I got to get tough on this one because Dr. Dixon hit hit home with that on me. Do your work or die because that is something that I tell my mentees, something I tell my family, my friends. Guys, nobody's coming back for us. You got to figure it out. Got to figure it out. All right. Um, ended that on a bright note, didn't I? <laughs> well, all right, guys. Let me remind you again. Join DiverseMedicine.com, www.DiverseMedicine.com. We are building the strongest online community for individuals in the medical profession or pursuing careers in the medical profession. We're going to deck it out, lay everything out there for you guys and help all you guys be successful to the best of our ability. Thanks for listening. Got another great episode coming up um, next week. Next week's episode is going to be amazing. I already, you know, I've gone through it all, listened to it. And, you know, great time, great story. Everybody needs to make sure you hear it. All right. A culture of survival. Shout out to Dr. Asante Dixon. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Yeah.